As the Apostle John is writing this letter, there are many errors circulating in the early church which are a great concern to him. There are those who are suggesting that perhaps Jesus Christ is not actually both fully God and fully man and are offering alternative understandings on those issues. There are some who are offering alternative views as to how we should understand the atoning and redeeming work of Christ on the cross. And others are teaching that there is a disconnect between the physical body and the soul. That largely is influenced in John's day by the prevailing philosophy of their day. And it leads some to think that as long as you know that your soul is saved, doesn't really matter what you're doing with your body. They're two completely separated things. These winds of error are blowing through the churches. Such breezes are always blowing through the church, the wider church, the Christian community. And John, just like the Apostle Paul, does not want them to be tossed to and fro on every wind of doctrine. Oh, here's a new way. Oh, here's something. Oh, here's something. No. Just... And that's his real concern. And as he begins to write, he, he wants to direct them in, in practical, practical things. And last time we, we saw how the, the basis of the gospel, the very beginning of the gospel, lies with the reality that there is a God who is light and that in him there is no darkness at all. And John, as in elsewhere in the Bible, uses this very helpful picture and illustration of darkness and light to help us understand that which has happened to us as Christian people. As you see, he he uses that here in these final verses of the opening chapter. And I want to just point out three uh, lessons Uh, that we can conclude from these verses that John puts before us here. And And the whole thing is about walking in the light. God is light. The world is dark. And you've been brought as a Christian from darkness into light. But now you are to walk in that light. And what does all of this mean? Well, the first thing that John points out is that walking in the light means a distinct change. A distinct change. If we say we have fellowship with God, verse 6, and walk in darkness, we lie. There's something very not right there. So darkness is used to describe the sinful human condition, as opposed to God who is light. And darkness is used to describe the great need that we have. 
and the gospel's great power in being able to take us out of that darkness and to place us in the light of God. And that happens by means of God himself shining the light of his gospel into our dark hearts. And these illustrations of darkness and light are very, very helpful to us to understand what's going on. Now, John is saying, if that really has occurred, if the light of God's gospel has shined into your dark heart, then a very great change must accompany it. It has to be so. If the change doesn't happen, then there is a huge question mark as to whether the light has shined in at all in the first place. If we're in fellowship with God, which in the context of this passage can only mean walking in the light, being in fellowship with God and walking in the light are the same thing, how can we possibly continue to live as if we're not in fellowship with God and as if we are still walking in darkness? That's the issue at stake. To claim to be a Christian, but not to have any change in your life or attitudes or behaviours is completely inconsistent with and contrary to your claim to be a Christian. Your claim is false. You're not practising the truth. Now, something important to note from these words is that to be a Christian means living out God's truth. Obedience to God's truth is not a ladder up which I must climb. So that hopefully, if I climb high enough, eventually I will attain God's smile and favour. That's what the Pharisees believed by their good works. They can climb up to God we need to remember that obedience to God's truth is the vital evidence, not that you have climbed up to God, but that God has come down to you and that God has met you with his favour and his smile in bringing you by his grace to the Lord Jesus Christ. And obedience to God's truth is the evidence that God has done that. And obedience to God's truth is not something that we can push to the sidelines because, well, it's all about grace. Grace is the only thing that matters. And in talking about grace, there's a very great danger to push to the side things like obedience to God's truth, but we must not do that. Those who are under grace are also under the rule of Christ. And we live in obedience to him. We're commanded to keep his commandments. We're glad to keep his commandments and if we're truly in Christ we're empowered and equipped to keep his commandments but of course these verses that John puts before us they do have to be read care carefully because a careless reading of them can lead to our misunderstanding exactly what it is that God is saying here some Christians read verse 6 and immediately feel terribly despondent because they can think of plenty of sins that they've committed even this last week and presume that this verse then is accusing them of not being a Christian at all. And they feel that accusation, you're lying, you're not practising the truth. Others perhaps, this whole concept of being either in darkness or light 
they decide that, well, if I am now in the light, from now on, I don't really need to worry about the issue of sin anymore. Well, that would also be a mistake because we need to be very aware of the issue of sin. And John actually is helping us to clear any muddled thinking that there may be on this issue and in these areas. He takes us through a number of stages throughout the whole letter to help us clear our thinking. What is the truth that John is opening up to us here at this part of his letter? Well, he says something very simple, really. Those who walk in darkness have the nature of darkness. Darkness typifies everything that they do. Darkness means not walking in fellowship with God and not wanting to. I don't want to walk in fellowship with God, thank you. That's darkness. Now, I mentioned last time uh, those several passages where the Apostle Paul paints those strikingly different pictures of the habitual nature and practices of those who are still lost and dead in their sins and the habitual nature and practices of those who are now transformed and who walk in light. So you can look at them in 1 Corinthians 6, Galatians 5, Ephesians 4, Colossians chapter 3. And it gives these big long lists of the kind of attitudes and behaviours that sinful men and women have all kinds of immoralities and selfishness and greed. And then on, he brings this great contrast. And the contrast is truly striking. And the point is that there is always a striking contrast in the life of a believer. Always. Now, you see, John is very helpful. In verse 8 he says, You cannot say that you have no sin. What a relief. You cannot say that you have no sin. Oh, good. You cannot say that you have not sinned. Oh, good. There's hope for me then. There's hope for you. But your life must demonstrate and will demonstrate that the whole basis of your life has nevertheless changed. That's the issue, you see. That the kingdom in which you now live is the kingdom of light and is not the kingdom of darkness. Even though you cannot say there is no sin in me, but you are nevertheless in the kingdom of light. Now that's encouraging to know. The light that you are in, verse 7, is that same light of God that we read about in verse 5. And the result is that if you are in his light, your habitual nature now is to walk in the light. Whereas you once preferred the darkness. But you don't prefer the darkness anymore. Now, because of verse 8 and verse 10, because John acknowledges you cannot say you have no sin... You can't say as a Christian, I've never sinned. The reality is, you will sometimes still struggle with some of the things of the darkness. You will. The reality is, as a Christian, occasionally, 
you may find yourself even flirting with some of those things. You know you oughtn't. Sometimes you do. The difference is, you know that's not where you belong anymore. That's the difference. And you know that is not how a Christian behaves. Now, some might say, indeed some have said over the centuries, that if the blood of Christ, verse 7, cleanses from all sin, why do I need to have any concerns about the sins that I may commit as a Christian? Well, they're all covered by the blood. It's not really a big issue. But look at verse 7 more closely. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, think about that verse for a moment. The cleansing blood of Christ is said to be effectual for who? For those who are walking in the light. If you're walking in the light, the blood of Christ cleanses you from all sin. Now, do you see what John is saying there? You see, there are some who might suggest that as a Christian, you can continue to walk as if you're in the darkness because the blood of Christ cleanses you from all sin. You can claim to be a Christian and you can willfully and intentionally continue in some of those sins that Paul lists in his letters. Because in the end, the blood of Christ will cleanse you from all sin. In other words, I'm using that verse to do what I want and live how I please. But no. Because the blood of Christ cleanses the sins of those who are walking in the light as he is in the light. Don't imagine or suppose that you can willfully and intentionally sin against God and then casually claim that the blood of Christ will cover those sins. See, there are these two phrases that go together. Those who are walking in the light are those whose sins are covered by the blood of Christ. And those whose sins are covered by the blood of Christ are those who are walking in the light. Those two things go together, you see. When you go outside to the people who are in darkness and talk to them about their sins being covered by the blood of Christ and they'll look at you like you're speaking a foreign language. Pardon? Hmm? They don't understand because they're not walking in the light. See, those two phrases go together. The Christian who knows that all of their sins are covered by the blood of Christ also knows that they've been called to walk in the light. That's the issue, you see, that John is putting before us here. I know those two things. I know those two things go together. I cannot claim the blood of Christ and continue in darkness. That just doesn't fit. And notice also that our continuing and ongoing fellowship with each other, verse 7, depends upon each of us walking in the light which is to be practicing the truth in verse 6 
Christian fellowship is enhanced when those Christians are walking in the light together. When a Christian has things or his, in his or her life and those things actually are of the darkness, then your fellowship with other Christians will deteriorate because you're not walking in the light with them. And if Christians are walking according to the truth, their fellowship together will be enhanced. But if they're out of step with each other concerning the truth, then their fellowship again will come under tension. I said in my first message, the starting point for Christian fellowship is agreement in the truth. We've all been brought to the same Jesus. We've all been brought to the same gospel. And it's those truths which are the foundation of our fellowship together. Now, this is why we talk about being, for example, like-minded with other churches with whom we have close fellowship. Because the Bible teaches very clearly that agreement in biblical truth, application in biblical truth, is not a secondary issue when it comes to fellowship. It's not a secondary issue. Some would like to make it a secondary issue. The only thing that matters is that we all love Jesus. All other things can be pushed to one side, but they can't be. Walking in the light is practicing the truth. And it's as we're walking in the light with other believers that we have that fellowship with one another. So we need to be clear on these things. There's some really helpful practical things coming out of what John is teaching us here. And especially when it comes to Christian fellowship. Well, John, you see, the main point he's making is that from the moment of your conversion, your whole relationship with sin changes. From the moment of your conversion, your whole attitude to sin changes. That's the point. You're no longer connected with darkness now you're connected with light and that's the key thing that John is asking us to grasp and understand yes you'll continue to stumble yes you'll continue to fall yes you'll have times when you're kicking yourself as a Christian why did I do that why did I not do that but you know you're in the light Do you know you're in the light? Has God brought you from his darkness, from that darkness into his wonderful, wonderful light? Now, one of the key marks of the change that comes about in the life of the Christian is the confessing of sin and the pursuing of holiness. Confessing sin and pursuing holiness. He talks about that from verse 9, doesn't he? If we confess our sins, he's faithful, he's just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make God a liar, the truth isn't in us. But there is confession and there is forgiveness and there is the pursuit of holiness and righteousness. See, one of the things that people walking in darkness never do, they never do this, is confess their sins. Never. Now, people who are in the darkness might admit to their sins, 
but they don't confess their sins. There is a very big difference between those two things. Admitting to sin is merely to acknowledge something that you said or did or thought. But you can admit to it and feel no sense of guilt or shame. You can admit to it and be quite ready to do it again. You can admit to it but have no care whatsoever for the consequences that there might be. Well, I admit it, I'm happy to, but so what? Confessing your sins is quite different, quite different. You see, confessing sins is to be in agreement with what the Bible teaches about sin. Confessing your sins is to be in agreement with what God has declared about sin. Confessing your sins is to be in agreement with what the Bible says about your guilt in your sins. The word confess means to be in agreement with. Admitting to sin, well that's just done before men. Confessing sins is done before God. They're two very different things. Confessing sins includes an acknowledgement of where those sins place you before a holy God. Confessing sins includes an acknowledgement that you need God's mercy and forgiveness and grace. We're not about getting people to admit that they're sinners. We need to get them to confess their sins before a holy God. Have you done that? Have you confessed your sins before God? Not admit to them. Confess them before the living God. And in the context of this passage, confession of sins is the ongoing attitude of one who is walking in the light. You cannot say you have no sin, verse 8. You cannot say you have not sinned, verse 10. But you can be found constantly in the place of confession of sins that's the christian walking in the light because you know that your sins have no place in the light and your sins grieve you like they never used to grieve you before because you're in the light part of your walking in the light an evidence of your walking in the light is your ongoing confession of your sins and we have a glorious threefold promise in that verse verse nine number one God is faithful and just. You see, God is not cruel or devious when he makes these kinds of promises. He doesn't change the basis by which you may be made right with him. He doesn't waver in temperament like we do. He isn't fickle and moody like we are. He is faithful and he is just. His response to your confession is assured. Secondly, there is forgiveness of sins. No more are your sins an issue between you and God. That which marred your relationship has been dealt with and removed. You're no longer guilty. You're no longer condemned. So there's no need to feel guilty. There's no longer any need to condemn yourself because of your sins. Because if you have confessed them in the light, God will forgive you all of your sins. And, number three, 
cleanse you from all your unrighteousness. This is walking in the light. Don't fall into the common trap of thinking that you, first of all, need to clean up your act in order to put things right between you and God. You're on a hiding to nothing if you take that approach. No, follow the pattern set before you in this verse. Confess your sins before God. Be assured of two things, his forgiveness and his cleansing power. There's a great verse in the Old Testament talking about those who have backslidden from the Lord. The command to them, return and he will forgive you. Let God do the healing. This is the ongoing cycle of daily living as a follower of Christ who's walking in the light. I, I know I commit sins, but look at verse 8. And look at verse 9. There is forgiveness and cleansing in Christ. Now, when John writes that he's giving us these things that you may not sin, verse 1 of chapter 2, I write these things so that you may not sin. He doesn't mean that he thinks it's possible for you to live a perfect and sinless life from now on. It's not what he's saying. What he is saying is that those who walk in the light... And those who have been forgiven and those who have God's cleansing power within them do now have the capacity to walk as they ought to walk. And the ongoing daily reality for you as a Christian will be increasing victory over sins and increasing progress in holiness. There will be sins that once weighed you down and they don't anymore because you've set free from them and you've been able to overcome them in Christ the things of darkness becoming less and less and the things of light the fruit of the spirit growing day by day that's what John's talking about here the the whole basis of your life has changed there's all kinds of things that need to be dealt with By his grace, God will deal with them. But it's this ongoing walk that John is talking about. This ongoing attitude of confession of sin and receiving forgiveness and of being renewed day by day by day by day as you walk with Christ. Is that your experience? It's a joyful place to be. You see that John acknowledges the reality that you will still commit sins in chapter 2, verse 1. Because he says, I write to you so that you may not sin, and if anyone sins, because he knows you will. He knows you will. But we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous Now, all of these things that John is writing about here, how are any of these things possible? Well, it's all possible and only possible because of Christ. It's all because of Christ. And he points us to the sufficiency of Christ. He says, if you're walking in the light, you're walking 
because of Christ and you're walking in Christ. And he points us to Christ and says, look at what's happening. And he talks about the sufficiency of Christ at the end of verse 1 and into verse 2 of the second chapter. Three things concerning Christ are highlighted here. And these three things are what brought you into the light in the first place. And remembering these three three things, being constantly mindful of these three things, will keep you walking as you ought to walk. Well, the first of these actually is one we've looked at already, and that's back in verse 7, which is the blood of Christ which cleanses. The blood of Christ which cleanses you. Now, as I hope you can see, John is not suggesting that the gospel truths are to be used as an excuse to sin. Well, I can just do this and then go to God later and get it all forgiven. He's not suggesting at all that Christians should live like that, nor is he suggesting that Christians from now on can live perfectly, sinless lives. He's very real in his understanding here. That's not what's being taught. Rather, you are to humbly walk in the light, forever aware of the great debt that has been paid on your behalf at such a great cost to the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm walking every day in the light because of the blood of Christ that was shed for me. Now, if you keep that in mind every day, that will affect how you're walking. That will affect the decisions that you make. That will affect how you deal with those old sins that you know you need to be putting off and putting off and putting off. You remember the cleansing blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did for you at Calvary. In remembering the shed blood of Christ, it acts as a reminder of just how grievous your sins are to the Lord and it spurs you on to pursue holiness and righteousness as one who has been forgiven and cleansed because I'm aware of the blood of Christ that's been shed for me. And yet you understand that you will still falter and you will still stumble in your Christian walk and there is one whose love is so great that even then his blood will cover every stain. Being a Christian is to be in a place of great comfort and assurance, not confusion and doubt. Second thing, we have a heavenly advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. You have in heaven one who pleads on your behalf. I spoke last week about comfort, encouragement, the Greek word that means to draw alongside used to speak of the word of the Holy Spirit as the paraclete, our comforter and our encourager. It's exactly the same word that appears here in verse 1 of chapter 2, speaking of Christ who draws near the throne of his Father in heaven. Whenever a Christian sins, there stands one in heaven who draws near to the throne to plead their cause. Whenever you're tempted to sin, There is one in heaven who stands before the throne of grace who's pleading your cause. Just think of your saviour who pleads your cause before your father. This one is the God-man, the sinless man who stands and pleads the cause of faltering, stumbling believers. The one who shed his blood for you is pleading for you in heaven before the father, representing you in heaven 
before the Father. Remember him as you walk in the light. And why is that significant? Well, it's significant because of what the Father sees in the Son. He's the propitiation, big word, for our sins. In Christ's risen body, he still bears the marks of his crucifixion. In Christ's revelation to John, Jesus is often referred to as the one who looks like a lamb which was slain. The Son reminds his Father of his saving, redeeming, atoning work that he was sent into the earth to do. The Son reminds his Father of Calvary where his blood indeed was shed for sinners. The Father sees the one who has indeed paid in full the sins of all his people. The Father sees the one upon whom his own righteous wrath and anger was laid and poured out. The Father sees the one who bore our griefs and carried our sorrows and by whose stripes we were all healed. The Father acknowledges that in Christ all the debt is paid and that you in Christ are forgiven and pardoned and no longer condemned. And that exists in heaven right now between the Father and the Son. Christ is the propitiation for your sins. The wages of your sins is paid in full. How can I use that as an excuse to go out and live however I like? God's justice has been perfectly satisfied as the sentence of death that you deserve has been carried out by falling on the Lord Jesus Christ who was your perfect substitute at Calvary. And on account of this Lord Jesus and for no other reason we confess our sins and he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And on account of this, Lord Jesus, he takes us out of the darkness and places us into his marvellous light. And on account of this, Lord Jesus, we make it our aim every day, don't we? To walk in the light that he has now placed us in as we continue in fellowship with God and with each other. John just wants us to be assured. Dear struggling Christian friends, that in Christ, everything is secure. You're walking every day with the Saviour who loved you and gave himself for you who understands all your fears and all your struggles and all your weaknesses and all your difficulties and all your failures. And he just wants you to come to him day by day as you walk with him, confessing your sins, being assured of his forgiveness, receiving afresh his cleansing power that you might continue in the light to his glory and praise. And if there are any unsaved amongst us this morning, this is the gospel of Christ, that he will bring you out of the darkness in which you're in, that you may exist forever in the glorious, glorious light of God. And we commend the gospel and our wonderful saviour to you this morning.